All right. Well, we are in our series on the secret. It's a book study of Colossians, and we've been walking through the this this study for the last six weeks. So, if you've been here all six weeks, you can congratulate yourself because that's been a really long time. I know for us. Here's our strategy. We've been doing a book study of Colossians, and basically, what we're doing is we're building a house. The reason why I've been hesitant over years to do a book study is because it is very intense and very in depth, and oftentimes, in my opinion. Not very easy to do on Sunday morning. But I chose to do Colossians because it's really short and we could really try to get hold of what Paul is trying to say in Colossians. So what we're actually going to do is we're actually going to build a house. That's what we've been doing over the last several weeks. And what we're going to do this week and next couple weeks is to build a house that explains how Paul constructed the letter to Colossae so that when we read the Bible, we will understand it better. Listen, anyone can read the Bible on a very basic superficial level. I should say superficial because it's not really a bad thing, but everybody can read it on a really basic level and understand the general principles of the Bible. But if you've ever tried to study the Bible with a little bit of depth, you know that there are some areas that are confusing. There's some passages that are a little bit weird to us. They sound a little bit different. And sometimes we need a little help because it's something that, in many cases, the way people in the ancient world thought about things, which is related to the way we think about things today, but sometimes there's a different spin, sometimes they use different words, sometimes they use different images and different ideas. And so we're going to, instead of dealing with all the details in Colossians, which you can pick up any book at Berean for $5.99, a Bible study of Colossians, and it will fill in the deals, details for you. Instead, what we're going to do is I'm going to explain to you how he constructed this. The reason why is you can take some of these ideas and when you go back to study the Bible on your own, you will understand better how the Bible is constructed, at least in the New Testament, at least in the letter. So we've been building a house and we've also been doing what? Playing Mad Libs. How many like Mad Libs? I like Mad Libs when I was a kid. All right. So let's take out our Mad Libs here this morning. If you have it, it's inside your bulletin. On Mad Libs side A, you will notice that there is two paragraphs here with blanks in it. You can go through here and fill it out with silly little adjectives and adverbs and make a funny story. That's what Shane does every week, and he turns it into me, and I give him an A-plus and a star. And you can do that. You can do that. But let me just recommend, instead of that, that you put in the words that go with this, because this is actually the book of Colossians that has been distilled down into two paragraphs. So when you go back over the book of Colossians after we're done with the series, can I say that again? When you study the Bible and you go back over the book of Colossians after the series, because that's something you're going to want to do, when you go back over it, this will give you the frame and you will understand why Paul constructed it, why he built it this way. So the Mad Libs over here, this is, I've already filled in for you the last couple of weeks. If you weren't here, that's all filled in. You can read through there if you weren't here the last couple of weeks. And then on the other side, you will see that there is what we're going to talk about today. All right, so let's talk about this. This is the way Paul built his letter to Colossae. The letter to Colossae is not really a letter. We in the church call it a letter, but it's not really a letter. It's really a rhetorical argument. It's a strategic argument. He created an argument to try to explain why we should live our lives for Christ. And it was something that was meaty and detailed so that we could really read it over and over again and be challenged by it over and over and over again. So the first week, what happens in our Mad Lib? We cleared the ground, right? Paul says, hello, everybody. Hello, Colossians. I've never met you before, but God asked me and inspired me to write a letter to you. And so he cleared the ground by doing what? Cleared the ground for the house by saying, you're a believer now. That's your starting place. You're a believer now. So let's talk about what it means to be a believer. Let's talk about what we do now that we're a believer. What is it that makes us a believer? How are we to live our lives? And then after we cleared the ground, what are we going to do? We're going to unroll the plans and we're going to look at what we're supposed to do with our lives. Now, what is the plan? And Paul spends the next part of his letter sharing that, listen, because we're believers, 
because we want to build a life that honors God, that that's what we'll do. We'll build something, a life that honors God. We will build a life that honors God. We're going to construct something in our lives that will glorify God, that will honor Him, that will praise Him. That's what God's calling in our lives is. And how do we do that? Paul gives a side note that we talked about that week, which is what? Which is the fact that as we go through life, is that when we try to worship God, we need to know more about God. We need to understand God. If we don't understand God, we will never be able to really worship Him. I may call that chair God, and I may bow down to that chair, but that is not that chair is not God. Third week, we talked about laying the foundation. We talked about laying the foundation. What do you do once you get the plans, clear the area? You build the formwork around it. You build the formwork around it. We built the formwork for the foundation. If you build the foundation wrong, what happens to your house? <clears throat> Falls over. Who wants to build a house like the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Unless you want to charge money for a guest to come in and see the really cool house that you built that leans on its side. Anybody want to live there? No, we don't want to live there. You want to build your house, the life that you have out of Play-Doh, the foundation out of Play-Doh? How about sand? Example I used at first service was pizza dough. What would it be like to, if it was a thick crust and good, maybe, I don't know, making me hungry now, but that's not really would be good either. What do we want to build it out? Something that's firm and concrete. What does Paul say? The basic foundation of our lives is, is that Jesus is God in flesh. That Jesus is the supreme being. He's bigger than Zeus. He's bigger than any philosophy you may hear on TV or in the Agora in the ancient world. He's bigger than any God that you can imagine. He is the creator God, and yet he is the God who came down here and sacrificed for you and I. Which, by the way, leads us to the fourth week, which was actually pouring the concrete in the foundation. That's what we're doing here, pouring the, the concrete in the foundation. Pour the concrete in the foundation, which is what? Second part of the foundation is the work of Jesus. The person of Jesus is the first week. First part of the foundation, second week is the work of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Did he come around? Did he come down here, zip up this human form, hang out, have a few parties, see some peeps, do that? Is that what Jesus did? No. What was the work of Christ? It was to be a sacrifice for you and I that he died on the cross and rose again on the third day so that we might be right with God. It's as simple as that. By the way, we're going to talk about this morning. It's very simple, but very hard to do. So much of the Christian faith is like that. And so what happens is that's the foundation. The foundation for your life, if you want to honor God, is to recognize Jesus as who he is and then acknowledge and honor the truth of what he's done for you and I. And last week we talked about erecting the frame, which was the secret. What is the secret? We finally got the secret last week. What's the secret? If you are here last week, what's the secret? God, li Christ lives in us. Paul specifically says Christ. Christ lives in us. And a lot of people are like, oh, that's so boring. I've heard that before. Oh, so anticlimactic. I thought it was like aliens or something, you know? That would have been cooler. But Christ lives in us. We talked about last week what? That the idea that the God of the universe would inhabit a human body, would have anything to do with humanity, was foolishness to the ancient Greeks, Jews, and Romans who lived in that time period. Think of it this way. Some of our heroes are Lance Armstrong. I can beat the French a million times. I can beat cancer even two million times. I am strong. I will live to 130. That's Lance Armstrong, in a sense. But in the ancient world, people died regularly of toothaches and earaches. They had no medicine. They had no antibiotics. If you lived to 30, it was a miracle, statistically. If you lived to 60, you were automatically a wise person, which is why they worshiped their elders, because it was crazy that you could live that old. The most popular philosophers, the philosophers that were on the Oprah of the day, hated the human body because that was the weak point of humanity. The mind and the spirit were strong, but the body was trash in their way of thinking. 
And you Christians, you suggest that the God who created the whole universe, the glorious God, not all the little fake gods that run around and do crazy things, but the glorious God of the universe inhabits people, baloney, foolishness, Christian foolishness, which is why they considered Christians to be atheists in the first century, because they thought it was so ridiculous that the one God of the universe, of course, they didn't believe in just one God, but the one God of the universe would inhabit human bodies. So we erected the frame by saying, listen, the skeleton, the frame of our lives is that Christ dwells within us and empowers us and encourages us and enables us to have a relationship with God. That's the frame, by the way. Today, we're going to put on the roof. What does the roof do? Hey, I may not be a general contractor, but I know what the roof does. What does the roof do? Keeps the rain off. Keeps the elements out. Keeps you safe. Paul's going to have a couple things to do not do today. Do not do. Why? Because it's going to protect your life and keep you safe. Keep you safe in the arms of God. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 23. It's long because we're actually going to read through the whole book of Colossians in our study here, this nine-week study. You want to open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 23. Your iPhones, your droids, your galaxy tabs, whatever you have, your stone tablets, it doesn't matter. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 23. We're going to look at this here this morning. Let's see what God has to say to us here. All right, here's Paul speaking and challenging us to live our lives, to honor God with our lives. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Okay, these are some of the things we're going to talk about. Because we're constantly being barred with ideas about how to worship God. But many of these ideas are not godly. Many of these ideas are apart from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Wow! The, man, the people in that time would have been like, that's crazy! So you all, even though today we're like, eh, it's no big deal. We've heard that a million times before. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. So what happens is he's now linking us to what Christ has done. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And so the thing is, is that in the ancient world, a lot of the Jewish people would become circumcised because it was a sign of their covenant relationship with God. In the same way, we under, when we believe in Christ, we undergo a much more powerful and real circumcision because we are not just simply cutting away some flesh, but we are cutting away all the flesh. We are saying, listen, all of that which is not of God, all of that which is not of God is now gone because we are free in Christ. So, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. That God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the changes against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And we're going to pick up this in a minute, but what he's saying is, listen, all those fake philosophies and all those fake religions have been put to shame now because of what Christ has done. Talk about that in a second. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies, or Sabbath. So don't let anybody give you a hard time about the day you meet. Don't let anybody give you a hard time about that you have Christmas or anything like that. It's all in God's hands. For these rulers are only these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. 
Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with his joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of the world. Now, this is the most important part right here. Don't. So when you keep on following the rules of this world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. And here's the key. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. No amount of ritual, no amount of religiosity, no amount of whatever will conquer any of your evil desires. Let's talk about this here this morning. Four ideas that we're going to deal with, and it's on your handout, um, the Mad Lib side B. Let's go over this. Don't be mesmerized by spiritual sounding talk. This is one of the things that Paul was worried about in Colossae and one of the wor- things that we worry about today. Colossae, by the way, it's very easy. Um, if you read like some some just general uh, if, if you've looked over the Bible, it's easy to kind of think of it in sort of a black and white thing. But Colossae was very much a cosmopolitan city. What does cosmopolitan mean as far as it relates to religion, as far as it relates to religiosity? Well, in America, we are not a Christian nation. I mean, I know some people argue that we are, we should be, or whatever. But you just go around the average person, you ask them. We go, all of us go down the Great Mall right now. We'll find how many people there are Christians compared to all the people that are in churches. I mean, if you go down the Great Mall, I guarantee there's more people at the Great Mall right now than there are in church, certainly on this side of town of, of San Jose. Yeah, I'm going to stand by that. Certainly, if we include all the malls in San Jose, I guarantee you there's more people there. Why? Because they're not believers. They just do what they want to. They live like they want to. By the way, if you weren't raised in, and you were born and raised in another country, you know this to be true because a lot of countries look at America as being a Christian nation because the nation you're from may be a Hindu nation or it may be a Muslim nation or it may be whatever nation because a lot of times in a lot of places in the world, you are whatever religion your country is. If you're born in England, you're Anglican. That's just the way it is. But in this way, Colossae is much more similar to the way America is. It's cosmopolitan. We have lots of different people with lots of different religions. And the same way it was true in Colossae. Now, Paul's saying, listen, you're in the mix of people who believe a lot of different things. And they're going to tell you things. And don't be mesmerized by what they say. Don't be mesmerized. Why? Because what Christ has done for you, as we're going to talk about in a minute, is enough. So stay focused on what Christ wants you to know. Listen, let me just read it here. We'll pick it up here and starting in verse 8 of chapter 2. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body so that you are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. You are complete. The world, oh, and the enemy will both use deception to confuse us and to tell us that you need more than that, that you need more than just God. You know, one of the things that happens in our world is that we feel the need, if we are even remotely interested in God, we feel the need to do stuff to earn God. Like, we need to do more. We need to do this. And people always will tell you, oh, you need to do this. You need to do more. You need to do stuff to get right with God. I talked about how polytheistic the ancient world is and how a lot of people in the ancient world, they would go to church on Sunday or whatever day it was, and then they would go down on Friday night when they were invited by their buddies to worship at the Temple of Dionysius, which was just party. So they'd go out and get drunk and the party because that's what worshiping was. And they'd be like, well, it's just worshiping. You know, it's not, I mean, you know, we can do both. We can do both. You know, one time I went to a Hindu temple that was here in the United States. I went there when I was like about 23 or 24. And I went there with a couple other people who were also in ministry, in Christian ministry. And 
the priest knew that I was uh, a Christian pastor. And so they were going through uh, what Hindus believe in going through the Hindu worship service. And it was really fascinating because, you know, he told me as they finished up and, you know, he was greeting the people that were leaving and stuff. He said, you know, I want you to know that you can worship Jesus here too. We can put a statue to Jesus and you could come in and worship Jesus here. Now, I recognize that that same may not be true in certain places in India where, you know, Hinduism has a much stronger foothold. And, and he just went on and on about how we can worship Jesus too. And, you know, Jesus is a God, just like Vishnu, just like, just like, um, Shiva, just like the rest of them, that we can, you know, it's okay. Jesus is just another God and it's cool. It's what I call the Jesus mix. How many of you have ever had someone knock on your door to tell you about religion and they start with the picture of Jesus, but then they pull out some other book? All the time. You know why? Because they know statistically that most Americans relate to Jesus. And if they can just give you a little bit of Jesus with this hand and pull it away quickly and give you whatever they want to give you with the other hand, that they'll succeed. Because a lot of times it uses deception. A lot of times they use deception. And by the way, Paul warns us that deception is a big part of the way a lot of the false philosophies do. You know, I've taught, I'm a published author. I've talked about this before. There's so much pressure on these guys to sell books and sell tapes and sell this and sell all this baloney. Sell, 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 sell. That, I mean, Deepak Chopra wrote a book on Jesus. Why are any Christian reading that book? He is not, he is not for Christ. He is against Christ. But yet he writes it to mislead people, to deceive people by saying, here's something about Christ. But in the other hand, he has just simply deception. Now, why do I mention deception of the world and the enemy? Well, because I find that there's two kinds of deception in our world when it comes to religiosity and when it comes to our spiritual lives. First of all is deception that is really just of the enemy and just mean and evil, and we flee that with every opportunity. But a lot, there's a lot of people in our world that are deceived just because they are in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, I had a great conversation with a BBCer this week. Great conversation and awesome person. And you know what? He was, he was telling me, that when he grew up, because he grew up in a country outside the U.S., that when he grew up, that for nationalistic reasons, that his country, that all throughout his schooling, he was never taught about World War II. Never taught about World War II. And they changed the story for everyone in that country to the fact that the country was the one who beat the Japanese and did all this stuff. So when he came to America and someone mentioned World War II, he's like, what's that? I never heard of that before. Can you believe that? You know what? The world is full of people that have unfortunately been deceived by the lies of our world. You know, when I lived in England and I lived with, uh, I lived with Muslims, one of the Muslims I lived with was, uh, Fareed. He was from Pakistan. I mentioned him before. Cause he's a good guy. Cause before 9-11, would he blow up a building by flying a plane into it? Yeah, I know he would. Seriously, he would. But he, he was a nice guy. And he was doing a master's degree at one of the most prestigious universities in England, I think. And, you know why he said, you know, you know what part of America he loved the most? Texas. You know why I love Texas the most? Because cowboys and Indians roam the plains and fight each other. He saw it. He knows it's true. No amount of me telling him could convince him otherwise. You know, when I told him, you should come to America with me so I could prove to you there's not cowboys and Indians in Texas now. He said, I'll never go to America. I said, why not free? He said, because I know that CIA agents roam all over the country shooting people at random and I don't want to be shot by CIA. Too much TV. You know what? But he doesn't have the ability because of the way he has been, can I use somebody else's word, brainwashed. He doesn't have any idea of the truth of the gospel. And when I presented the truth of the gospel to him and shared Jesus with him, he could not fathom 
He could not fathom that there was a God who loved him and was sacrificed for him because that's just not the way it is. That's not the way the world is. You have to do everything and earn your way to heaven because that's what Muslims basically do. You have to earn your way to heaven. And you know what? He's a good guy, probably. I mean, yes, he killed people, but he's a good guy. And yet, at the same time, very deceived about the world that he lives in, about history, and more importantly, about God. And you know what? All the time we encounter people, both inside and outside the church, both inside and outside of America, who are just simply misunderstood and deceived about what Christ has done and what Christ has done for not only for us, but also for them. The world and the enemy uses deception. Look, hey, check this out. What is this? The zodiac is astrology. Astrology is always, for a thousand years, in and out of popularity. Does a Christian need to do this? No. Why would a Christian ever do this? Why would you ever do that? I mean, let's just ask the question here, just as an example. What can the stars tell you about anything that God cannot tell you through your personal relationship with Jesus Christ? But yet Christians all over the world, they read these things. Why would you do that? Paul says here that why would you take anything that comes from someone who is not under the headship of Christ to begin with? Why would you do that? But yet Christians read it all the time because they're hoping to get a little more insight into their faith. Into their faith, sorry, not their faith. And you know what? What are we doing at that point in time? We are devaluing what God has done through us in Jesus Christ. What is this right here? Everybody knows what this is. Come on. The first service, they played coy. They don't really know what that is. What is this? Come on, if you watch Oprah, you know what this is. Well, it's related to karma, but it's your chakras, right? This is your chakras. So, you know, what's what's the problem with us exploring our chakras a little bit? What's the problem with that? Well, what the problem with that is, is that we're saying that we must do more. That for us to be right with God, for us to have the spiritual vitality that we want, we got to keep doing more. we got to keep adding to it. Now, we're going to talk about why that's the problem in a second in more detail. But some of you may say, well, Pastor, I don't, you know, I don't really agree here because they're saying we can't do yoga, we can't do karate, we can't do wushu. No, I'm not saying it at all. But I am telling you that if you go and take karate and it's because you want to get a good exercise, you want to, you know, get some, get some, get some aerobic exercise. Great. That's awesome. But if you're bowing down to your sensei and venerating the, the, the little Buddha on the back, that's a problem. That's a big problem. Why would you do that? Why would you even want to do that? Let me ask you a question. Did Christ dying for you, is it enough? Most lukewarm Christians will say no by their actions. They will say, no, Christ dying for me is not enough. I still must do religion. I must still do religiosity. I must still do rituals. I still must do things to earn my way. And that is not something that's good. Hey, first service didn't know who this is. Who is this? Russell Brand. All right, good. Somebody first service said George Harrison. No offense. It was a good guess. And basically the same. Now, what, what is he doing there? What's that? We call him the Harry Krishnas, right? You know, for those of you that are younger, I'm going to just mention to you, and you may not realize this, but the world constantly brings fads of deception in and out of your lives. In the 60s, if you were not getting right with your Maharaja, then you were just out and you just missed the whole thing. And you know what? Now they're kind of a laughing stock until they come back in again. Because there's always going to be things that try to pull you away. You know, if you, if you lived through the 60s, you know that, wow, that was bad idea. Bad idea. Shaving my head and joining a commune, not probably a good idea. And yet, it deceives so many people in that generation. And today, whatever it is, whatever's on the Oprah book club, 
chakras, Deepak Chopra, all those things will lead millions of people away from God because they will teach them that Jesus is not enough. And when you're relying on other things other than Jesus, you're not relying on God. And when you're not relying on God, I have no idea whether you will be at his banqueting table when you pass through the field. Now, you don't need it. You're already okay with God. What does Paul say here? Don't let anyone capture you. Listen, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, cutting away every sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the, from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. You don't need all this other stuff. You don't need the extra baggage. What do you need? What is the only thing that you need to be right by God according to the Word of God? According to the Bible. Simply Jesus. There is nothing that you can do to be right with God. Nothing. Nothing that you can ever do to be right with God. The only thing a person can do is what? Is recognize and accept the grace that God offers through his son's death for you. That's it. That's it. It's really that simple. No more, no less. It's just that simple. But you know what? Doing things is easier. You know why doing things is easier? Because you can check it off your list. You can check it off your list and be done. You know, I, I'll be honest here, because if you've been here at BBC before, you know I give lukewarm Christians a hard time. I'm sorry, I apologize, but I'm just trying to challenge you to be the best Christian you can be. If you've ever been to worship services of other religion, their lukewarm people put our lukewarm people to shame. Because they're really there just to do the thing. Here's the money, and I'm done. It's just culture. It's just tradition. For most of it, not all, but for most, is what it boils down to. But, but Paul is saying here that, listen, when Christ has done it, you're already okay with God. You don't need anything else. Listen, in Christ, you were totally reborn and made new. Totally different. You were not partially reborn. You were not a little bit changed. You were radically and totally changed. There is a radical difference in who you are. It's a complete difference. When Christ died for you, he forgave every sin that you have ever committed or will ever commit. Think about that for a second. When Christ died for you, he forgave, if you go to him, he forgave every single sin that you ever did or will do. Now, in Romans, Paul says, don't go out and party like it's 1999 because, you know, that's not the point of living for Christ. Yes, he did forgive all those sins, future sins, but we don't want to put Christ on the cross over and over and over again. Why we'll live lives that honor God. But everything you've ever done wrong, he has erased. There's nothing else to do. There's no amount of bowing down to idols, bowing down to this, doing this, bending over here, doing this, any of that other stuff. You can't buy your way. You can't earn your way. You can't do anything. But yet most people would rather try to buy their way or earn their way because it makes them feel good. It makes them feel like they've done something. You can do nothing. You can do nothing. So accept it now and then go to God and thank him for what he's done. In Christ, you're totally reborn and totally made new. You know, don't listen when others try to get you to be religious. Here's what happens. And these are the, uh, this is the final two problems here. You were dead because of your sins, because of your sinful nature is not yet cut away. God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory on the cross. Listen, You know what happens when we do any other religious activity rather than just recognizing what Christ did? 
Here's the thing. I'm going, my wife, because I want you to be offended by this in a, in a nice way. I want her to, I want, I'm going to bring her in this. I'm going to invite you to my house for dinner. And my wife is going to cook you a seven-course meal. And then I want you to tell her when you're done with the meal, you know, this was not a very good meal. I want some more food now, please. When Christians do any other worship, that's what they're saying to God. They're saying, your son's death was not enough for us. We need to do something else now. If you told my wife that, I would be deeply offended. When you bow down to an idol, when you read a horoscope, when you do anything apart from thanking God for Jesus, you have insulted and offended God because of what Jesus has done. Don't do it. Serious, don't do it. Don't listen to people when others try to get you to be religious. What they're just trying to do is confuse you. All it takes is Jesus. That's it. It's just that simple. Listen, all the religion you will ever need is Jesus' sacrifice. That's it. All There's no ritual that can replace it. There's no religiosity that can replace it. There's no philosophy that can replace it. Who cares what Deepak Chopra thinks about Jesus? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Who cares if your chakras aren't aligned? It doesn't matter. What matters is what Christ has done for you. That's it. Don't do anything else. Don't add anything else. Don't take it. Just that. All the religion you will ever need is Jesus' sacrifice. Paul says here that is a complete thing. You know what happens? You know why Christians struggle with this? Let me explain something. And I'm not a criminologist. I'm not an expert on criminal justice. If you are, you can critique me later and tell me why I'm wrong. But the thing is, is that studies show, if the news is to be believed, that when a person gets out of jail, they're very likely to do what? Go back to jail. And a lot of people have fear of what? Freedom. So when someone gets released, they unlock it. They unlock the jail cell. The person's like, oh, wow, what do I do now? I don't know what to do. I'll just rob somebody so I can go back to jail. I mean, I've met people who have actually done that within 24 hours of being released from jail, have committed a crime and gone back to jail. I've counseled them. So I know some people do that. The average Christian does this. We are bound by our mistakes and our sinfulness and our brokenness. And the jail cell is shut. Christ comes in. We accept him. The jail doors are wide open. And we're like, I don't want to be free. Can I do some other religion to shackle me or hold me down? Because I don't want to be free. But Christ freed us completely, totally, completely, totally, completely, in every way imaginable, we are free. But we live as if we're in that jail cell. We hide our faith. We're ashamed of our identity as Christians. We do other religious activities just to make people happy. We dishonor our God. All the religion you will ever need is Jesus' sacrifice. That's it. That's all of it is. It's simple, and that's it's elegant, it's beautiful, and that's what makes it so difficult. Because something that is so simple and so beautiful and so elegant, it has to be more than that. We have to do things. We have to practice things. But no, we don't. And whatever you do, don't follow their rules. This is what Paul says as he ends up this section. He says, listen, you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world? Why, why are you doing this? Why are you acting this way? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, don't do this. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Listen, may it never be said 
that there's not people within the Christian tent who do the same thing. Listen, let me give an example here. What's that? You know what that is. I don't even need to name what that is. That's people bowing down to a Christian statue. That's what that is. And worshiping that statue. I don't care what words you use to call it. That's, in essence, what it is. And some of you from other countries, you know what I'm talking about. Why are we doing this? Why do we add anything to Jesus? Why are we trying to take away the freedom that he has given us and dishonor it? Just because your family member asked you to do this. And listen, I know it's true. You, you, you guys have confessed this to me. Because your family member asked you to bow down to another statue doesn't mean you should do it. Who's more important, your family member or what Christ asked you to do? Don't do it. You don't need to add anything to Jesus. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. He is enough. He is sufficient. He is enough. Who died for you? Jesus did. Who sacrificed for you? Jesus did. Who is God of all creation? Jesus is. Who is the one who made everything right for you and I? Jesus did. No amount of bowing, reflecting, straddling, jumping, hopping, anything, banging the drum is going to make you right with God. Only Jesus, if you believe the Bible. So here's the thing. Religious rules simply enslave people to religion. That's all it does. All the religious rules, all the people are like, but you know what? I've said this prayer a thousand times. You haven't done anything. You just go to church and wave your hands and that's it. But I've said this prayer. I've done this. I've jumped here. I've visited here. I bowed down this statue a million times. Let them. You know why? Because all their bowing, saying, talking, and all that stuff is just following the rules of this world. We pray that they would not be deceived, but my friends, they are radically and poorly and badly deceived. Because it is only Christ that is necessary to be right with God. And anything else you do, you dishonor him when you add to it. So please don't do it. All right, so here it is. What is the point of the book of Colossians? Number one, clear the area. We are believers now. You're believers. How are you going to live? Well, we're going to pull out the plans. What is the way we're going to live? We're going to honor God with our lives. That's what we're going to do. The plan says let's honor God with our lives. We're going to pour down the formwork, put down the formwork. Formwork is what? Part A of the foundation is the fact that Christ is God in flesh. He is the supreme being. He is the one who created the universe, and he is also the one. The concrete, not the Play-Doh of our lives is what? Is the fact that Jesus died for us, that he is a sacrifice on our behalf. And then we put up the frame, which is that Christ lives in us, and and it strengthens us, and it encourages us, and allows us to live for God. And the roof that protects us, that keeps the elements of life away from us, is that we will not add anything to what Jesus done. We will look to Jesus and him alone and his sacrifice alone. We're not going to bow down, get over, bend over, do any of that stuff. We're not going to be Russell Brand, beat on the drum. We're not going to do any of that stuff. We are going to simply focus on what Christ did and thank God that he was willing to do it. Let's pray. That's it. Let's pray.